Hey, running nerds, it's Kyle Merber. And if you're listening to this podcast, then there's a high likelihood that you love track and field. In that case, I encourage you to subscribe to the Lap Count newsletter. It's my newsletter, helping fans stay up to date with all the thrilling action and biggest stories in the world of track and field, delivered right to your inbox every Wednesday morning. It's free. It takes less than a minute to sign up at thelapcount.com, and I think you'll enjoy it. Here's this week's newsletter read by Chris Chavez. Before we get into it, this week's newsletter is sponsored by Lever. Are you tired of running injuries? Lever helps endurance athletes lower the stress on their bodies so they can, one, return from injuries faster. That's fractures, tendon, and plantar issues. Two, build back your running confidence. Three, increase run volume and speed while staying healthy. So tis the season for Black Friday. Order now using the code LABCOUNT20. That's spelled out for the word 20. To get our Black Friday pricing, 20% off discount. Cheers to healthy running. Learn more at levermovement.com. Lap 142, gobbling up these miles. And they are off. The men's 2023 NCAA Cross Country Championships. The view from the sky is beautiful as these athletes are taking out this race quite quick. For the first time since 1987, the NCAA Cross Country Championships returned to the University of Virginia. This iteration took place at Panorama Farms, a venue that has never hosted an event of this scale. An undertaking like this wasn't without its logistical challenges. Most notably, the fans who tried to purchase tickets in the few days before were unable to do so. The meet was sold out, a brand new issue that running fans are unaccustomed to. Everyone has an opinion, and fans clamoring for the sport to reach a new level of mainstream popularity are having second thoughts. After all, you never have to worry about saving a seat at the loser table. But for those who managed to get in to spectate the meet, the weather was ideal for standing in the middle of a large field, leading many in attendance to compare the scene to Woodstock, but with less mud and a much less permissive attitude toward, well, everything that went on at Woodstock. There wasn't a lot to do in the lead-up to the race once at the farms, except walking around and asking people who their picks were, so that's mostly what people did. The Brits think real cross-country means trudging through mud, but is there a better way to pay homage to the origins of the sport than not having cell phone service for a couple hours? With a final attendance of 6,723, this was the biggest outpouring of fans in recent history for the NCAA cross-country championships. Despite shuttles having to usher the meet-goers on-site from a mall parking lot miles away, they still showed up undeterred by that extra step. While qualifying teams were given plenty of reserve tickets for athletes' families, their teammates who road-tripped from Charlottesville were not turned away on the day of the meet. Tickets were not strictly checked, and there was plenty of space in the fields big enough for cows to graze in. Walking away from what was a great spectator experience, my first take is that we need more meets on the East Coast. Charlottesville isn't a huge city. It's only got 45,000 year-round residents, but it's a drivable distance from a number of densely populated cities. Unlike in track and field, where meets require stadiums of a certain caliber and athletes want specific weather to compete in, cross-country can be run anywhere, in any condition. Why not go on a mobile tour by jumping around to different host cities? As we know, going back to the same place twice a year on an annual basis gets boring quickly. To draw interest, it's helpful to have a change of venue. One of the most appreciated aspects of this year's course was that it was very European, not in that there was a lack of spice, but it looped around itself making it very spectator-friendly. 
there are basically infinite grass fields waiting to be stomped on that can be turned into a two-kilometer loop within 100 miles of a major city. Next year, the meet returns to Madison, Wisconsin. It's a great course, and while not on the Northeast, there are about 8.5 million people who live within a two-hour drive, so that's close enough. There are certain events during the year that should be viewed as being at the top of the funnel in terms of capturing the attention of future distance running fans. The NCAA championships are one of them. If you're showing up to watch this meet, whether it's in person or in television, then you've demonstrated a more than mild interest in the sport. Many of those viewers are not regular consumers of the Diamond League or professional running, but they are the target demographic we should be trying to convert. That makes every aspect of this meet's presentation crucial. It's an incredible opportunity to convince someone that this sport is cool and it's worth seeing more of. How do you turn NCAs into a meet worth traveling to even if you don't have a dog in the fight? There's currently downtime before the races start. Perhaps that's a good slot to fit in a tailgate or a pregame show. Or after the award ceremony, Taylor Swift comes out to perform. How expensive could that possibly be? It could make sense to combine the enthusiasm runners have for racing themselves with spectating. How about a mass participation or alumni race? Nothing would give fans greater appreciation for how fast Parker Valby is than if they found out later on that day just how much she would have beat them by. Parker is trying as she is able to see that there's a nice gap behind between her and Doris Lenigal. But Doris is closing. She definitely made that charge, but it looks like it is going to be Parker Valby. So instead of back-to-back from Tui, it is Parker Valby backing it up. She wins the natty after the nutty comb. Parker Valby. Parker gets hers. It's Valby mania. This was one of the most anticipated head-to-head matchups in recent NCAA history as Florida's Parker Valby looks to avenge her second-place finish at last year's championships and Caitlin Tui aimed to win another one. Valby's Mid-season performance at the Nuttycomb Invitational signaled that she had unlocked a new level of fitness as she took down the course record in wet and windy conditions. But it's a long season, and this is cross-country, so we shouldn't get too caught up in times, right? After getting off the line poorly, Valby initially found herself caught behind the pack. But once she made it to the front, she let her presence be known. It ended up not even being close, as the junior would go on to win by 10 seconds in 1855. But like I said, what's time worth anyway? Well, to get a sense of how dominant this performance was over the field, the time difference between Valby to the last All-American finisher in 40th place was 71.5 seconds. In the past 15 years, the only greater margin was by Kate Avery in 2014, when that gap was 72.7 seconds. That gap could have been even wider had Valby not cramped up in the final kilometer. Moments before starting her post-race interview for the broadcast, she looked up to the booth and asked how to get rid of a side stitch. I believe I yelled something along the lines of, doesn't matter now, you won. Remember, last year, Valby won the 5,000 meters at the NCAA Outdoor Championships, coming off the bench from injuries. You may not be super familiar with the freshman who finished second this week, but Doris Lemongold ran 14.40 for 5K last season before heading to Alabama. I'm not a firm believer in the transitive property as it applies to running performances, but hey, it never hurts your confidence heading into a track season to know you've easily bested someone with a personal best like that. If there's an antithesis to the current zeitgeist around double threshold training, then it is the cross-training methods of Parker Valby, who has once again proven that hard work is still hard work no matter where it's done. There aren't enough podcasts in the world to make four to five days a week on the ARC trainer tolerable, but who can argue with these results? Back to back to back. 
No one at NC State thinks of themselves as a one-woman wolf pack. This is not just a team, it's a program. Admittedly, as a rule, I root against defending champions in all sports, unless it's me or my team, especially Max Verstappen. Repeat winners are generally boring, and it's rare to see the same emotion from a champion once they've already been there before. This time, the favorites became the underdog. There were rumors swirling before the meet whether or not four-time All-American Kelsey Camille was healthy. This is partially because she did not run at regionals, but it's also because people are bad at keeping secrets. When she showed up to the course the day before on crutches, that question was answered and it had massive implications on the team race. If Northern Arizona, the number one team coming in, was already being favored, then the loss of last year's third place finisher would surely be too massive of a blow for NC State to come back from, right? Wrong. It became evident halfway through that Tui was not at her best on the day. Despite Coach Lori Henna saying that Caitlin was the fittest that she had ever been, she came down with an illness the day before. At 4K, she had fallen back to an unfamiliar territory in 11th place. And had she felt sorry for herself for one moment and slipped further back, then this would have been a much different newsletter blurb. Someone must have told her how close the team score was because she rallied and her fifth place finish made all the difference. Though when a team wins its third straight national title by a single point, every scorer becomes the hero on that day. There was a lot of pressure on freshmen to come through in big moments, but Leah Stevens, who finished in 43rd place, and Grace Hartman, who finished in 63rd, did just that to round out the 4-5 spots. Samantha Bush ran like the veteran that she is, moving up the entire race and passing 14 bodies in the last kilometer to finish 28th. After dropping out of most of her regular season races, Amaris Tainisma thrived when it mattered most and came in in 25th place. You talked to Kelsey today? Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, again, that can't say enough how much she is the heart and soul of this program and how big of a hit that was to particularly like those of them who've been here with her for four or five years, but they are close and they wanted to maybe be able to do this for her and they did that in a big way today. The ascent of the Northern Arizona women is a great story, and although their book may be a bit longer now, I do look forward to reading a happy ending next year. But if we're going to close out the Caitlin Tui College Years documentary with one defining scene, it's with an exclamation point at the end of an era. A win 387 years in the making. He's putting his head down, pumping the arms. He sees it. He sees an opportunity, but Haptum Samuel is not quitting. There's still a few hundred meters left as Graham Blanks is going to the knees and he's driving. Does Harvard finally pull this off? By the way, Harvard-Princeton, there's a good battle as well for the top Ivy school. The two of them are here head-to-head, -head, but it is now pulled over and is clear for Graham Blanks. Graham Blanks, he was six here last year. He was the Nutty Comb champion. He's taking a look back. He sees it. Waving to the crowd, putting the number one up. Graham Blanks, there it is, the very first Ivy champ getting the laurels here at the 23 cross. How did Harvard not win the individual men's crown in 1636 when there weren't any other colleges in America is beyond me, but the wait is over. Coming into this year's championships, the winner of the Nutty Comb Invitational on both sides has gone on to win the NCAA title 30% of the time. Now add Grant Blanks and Parker Valby to that growing statistic. If there are two words to describe Blanks coming into this season, it is slept on. It started when he graduated from high school, and like most of his Crimson teammates, they all took a gap year. During that time, he ran 13.27 for 5K in what would have been his freshman year. 
Once classes started and his eligibility clock began to tick, he finished 23rd in 2021 behind Charles Hicks, Nico Young, and Kai Robinson before struggling with some injuries. In 2022, he was 6th at the NCAA Cross Country Championships and then ran 356 for the mile and lowered his 5K time to 1318 before finishing 2nd at the Outdoor Championships. Blank seems to have all the tools to be a great runner. He trains like an animal, running 100 miles a week, at 95% of them being sub-6-minute pace. That's classic Coach Gibby. He ran a 40-minute cooldown after winning and then a 15-miler the next day. Though all of that quality volume has not been any detriment to his closing or opening speed, the first 1,000 of the NCAA championships was 229, and he's quickly gaining a reputation for possessing the clutch gene, despite being a self-proclaimed dumbass. Uh, well, actually, I, I revised that. I told them I wanted to be the smartest runner today, and I, I ran like a dumbass. That's what I told them. <laughs> so ended up being the, the runner with the most heart. I mean, I ran really, really hard. Uh, a lot of, there was a lot of surges, a lot of wind, a lot of sun. So... Uh, just trying to uh, persevere throughout our race. Listen to Graham Blanks on the Sidious Mag podcast episode that we published right before this. Blanks is the type of talent that could go on to become the next great American marathoner. You're not just going to run 203 if you can't also turn over. But I'm getting way ahead of myself. First, there's track, and we'll get a glimpse into just what 2837 over Grassy Knolls is worth when he races a shorter distance at Boston University's physics-defying indoor track next weekend. The passing of the Dynasty Torch. What do you do if you lose an NCAA title duel in a tiebreaker on your home course? You reload the pistol and you take another shot. That's exactly what Oklahoma State did, and that's how they handed Northern Arizona just their second loss in eight years. The matchup was an easy story to tell ahead of time. On one side, you had the squad who had all been there before, and on the other was a team counting on fresh faces. My pre-race assessment was that if both teams ran perfectly, then it wouldn't be close. The Pokes had the potential to score significantly less, and they did just exactly that. They put five guys in the top 15 of the field, but there was very little room for error. Had either Dennis Kipengedich or Victor Shitsama had an off day similar to Big 12s, then there was too much of a big gap to their sixth man, and they would have lost. The narrative ought to be that Oklahoma State won this one because Northern Arizona definitely didn't lose it. The Lumberjacks improved from 83 points last year to 71 this year, and like clockwork, Santiago Prosser and Brody Hasty had the races of their season when their team needed them. Those two are the type of friends you could rely on to help you move out of an apartment after a breakup. Now, in this modern world of transfer portals, the rosters next year are a bit less predictable than in generations past. But if things remain the same, how could anyone possibly beat Oklahoma State? Six out of their seven return, and this is a team that is so deep that Coach Smith had 10 guys warm up before finalizing who his starters were. This one, I think, we had to beat one of the greatest teams of all time in the NCAA, not just in cross country, but in all sports, to win uh, six out of seven, be going for seven out of eight. Uh, the NAU has kind of raised the bar for everybody and said, now if you want to win, it's it's this level. And we had to grow to that level. And... Um, so I think this one, um, we always had to beat great teams, good teams, teams that were kind of comparable to us, but this is an all-time great team. And so to knock them off is um, probably even more meaningful to know you got, like I said, one of the all-time great NCAA programs in any sport. Here are some thoughts from the announcer booth. Like every other fan, I have complained endlessly about broadcasts. Having the chance to be 
on the broadcast. Sort of feels like halftime at a basketball game when a fan comes down from the stands to the court to attempt a half-court shot. You think it's so easy, and then you do it yourself. This was my second year being part of the ESPN broadcast along Kerry Tollefson and John Anderson. I'm happy to share that I have accomplished my pre-meet goal of being able to tolerate anonymous comments about my performance. Though I do think I should smoke a few cigarettes before the next one to drop an octave. Like many of us, I stopped paying attention to the NCAA with the same level of intensity once it stopped having a direct impact on my life. When the opportunity first presented itself, I committed myself to following along so that I would know the storylines without needing any notes. You just don't have the time to check those. Instead, I tried to focus on the screen in front of me and the names and splits on the live results board. I still prefer writing to broadcasting because there's an editor who makes sure I won't put out anything into the ether that'll make too many people mad at me. But the professionalism that John, Kerry, Tim, Scott, Sam, Tom, and Tyler brought made it easy for me to do what I always do, whether at home or on television, become embarrassingly enthusiastic about running. Minus one Olympic trials qualifier. The strong field at the Philadelphia Marathon and good conditions made for a prime Olympic trials qualifying chasing opportunity. And for the few guys who got under the 218 mark, they'll be headed to Orlando. But unfortunately, they will do so without Ethan Herman, who crossed the finish line of his debut marathon in 217.03. Although his watch says that he did it, and we can see the time on Strava, it won't be in the results. Herman was disqualified. Herman's coach was running around the course cheering when he met his athlete at an aid station. Once there, his coach picked up the bottle and handed it over to the competing athlete. However, because Herman did not grab the bottle himself, this is technically against USATF rules due to the, quote, inequality of resources offered to athletes, end quote. But who cares, right? He would have finished sixth, and his qualifying for the Olympic trials doesn't take someone else's spot. Who? in a world of increasingly bouncy prototypes and systemic doping programs, would consider what might genuinely be the smallest possible advantage an athlete can gain mid-race a sin. Well, this infraction was pointed out to the race organizers. Unfortunately, due to the formality of the complaint and the specificity of the rules, the organizers had their hands tied on the situation. Herman is taking this tragic situation in stride and puts no blame on the Philadelphia Marathon organizers whatsoever and he's fully understanding of the consequences. He shared with the lab count that, quote, I don't have to fully agree, but I fully get it. I just have to learn from it, move forward, and take on the next challenge in time, end quote. Ethan is at peace and seems to be walking away from the weekend knowing that his mission of qualifying for the Olympic trials was accomplished, even if the start list will say otherwise. This is an issue across all parts of our sport where every judgment is made in black and white. If someone falls starts, they're out. In the triathlon, when someone breaks a rule, they're just made to stand in a box for a little bit. What's one bottle being handed to you worth over the course of a marathon? How about a 15-second penalty? Or you have to choke down one more gel after you finish. Rules were made to be broken, and so are made-up time barriers to qualify for qualifying races. Hashtag free Ethan. Here's what else you need to know from the past week. Elise Cranny has officially become part of Team Boss. I don't know if there was any paperwork involved, so I didn't want to say that she signed with them. 
Given her hometown is Niwot, Colorado, this should not surprise anyone who memorizes what high school professional runners attended. Jacob Kiplimo set a new 15K world record. Technically, it's the best, but we all know how we feel about that distinction. He ran it in the Netherlands this past weekend, going 41.05. If you're wondering why he didn't get his own full newsletter section, it's because he ran 38 seconds faster for a split during his half marathon record. Bia Simbasa won the Rock and Rib 10K in 27.55. Two thoughts. One, what a great name for a race. And two, yeah, Bia's going to be overlooked in the trials predictions, and you're all wrong for that. Agnes Ngedic ran the second fastest 10K ever, going 29-24 in France this weekend. That's the same time that she ran two months ago in Romania, except that course didn't pass any ratifications, so it looks like she said, I'll just do it again. The news that the Olympic trial start time was moved up to 10 a.m. came out a few hours after last week's newsletter drop, so everyone is sick of people sharing their opinions on it now. But let me just say... While I am, of course, all for protecting athlete safety, it is important to occasionally think about the sport from a fan's perspective, too. If we make enough decisions that positively impact viewership, then it will also benefit the athletes. This was the right compromise. Jakob Ingebrigtsen has pulled out of the European Cross Country Championships due to injury. His seventh individual gold medal will have to wait. Rest up, King. The Irish Cross Country Championships featured mud as thick as your head as Cormac Dalton and Fiona Everard took the top honors. Based on the winning times, I'd say that it was a long 9,000 meter course, or the mud was actually the thickness of multiple heads. The winning paces were 5.32 on the men's side and 6.31 per mile on the women's side. Thank you so much to Lever for sponsoring this week's newsletter. Staying healthy isn't just about fitness. It's about keeping one's sanity and having Lever's technology in your corner will have you feeling extra thankful this holiday season. I've been Chris Chavez reading Kyle Merber's The Lap Count newsletter. Subscribe at thelapcount.com.